added time is supported by Fitbit. Get real-time insights on you and your world with the Fitbit Versa 2, the all-new premium smartwatch with Amazon Alexa built in, your personalised sleep score and a 5-plus day battery life. Can I tell you the best thing about the Rugby World Cup hat? Do. The mornings. What do you mean by that? I love the fact that it's on when you wake up. Is it just your excuse to start drinking really early? <laughs> God, there, there was a time, I, and indeed specifically the time would have been the last time there was a World Cup in Japan in 2002. Oh, yeah. When the soccer World Cup was on in Japan. And I was, what, 23? Yes, absolutely, there was drinking first thing in the morning back then. No, no, uh, sadly, and, and, you know, not to bore the people, but, you know, my life is in a different place now. Now, uh, I am up at that time in the morning anyway with a young child. Yeah. And she, being four and a half, uh, has yet to understand the idea of a lie-on in the weekends. Oh, right. Uh, but happily, there is top-class international sport on when we get up at <laughs> five past seven on a Saturday morning. So I managed to get her, and she absolutely was up for it on Saturday morning. Uh, the only thing was that every five minutes, she had to keep turning to me, are we up for France? Or are we up for Argentina? She couldn't grasp the concept of... Uh, she couldn't hang on to who we were up for. Oh, right, okay. But I think she decided that we were up for France because um, I had been to France once and brought her back a pack of Eiffel Tower playing cards. That's as good a reason as any of us have for cheering for anybody in the World Cup. Really. Certainly for France, who, uh, as uh, people will realise as the podcast goes on, uh, you have decided are a shower of fat bastards. Yeah, I have, yeah. <laughs> they are not fit, I don't care <laughs> what anybody says. <laughs> I had a slightly different experience. My wife is Scottish. Yes. And uh, so she got up to watch, well, she didn't, she got up and kind of came in and she was like, oh, there's rugby on because she has zero interest in sport. That is all. the surprising thing to me. Yeah. I know your wife. And uh, so she kind of out of politeness kind of sat down and, and watched a, a little of it. And her sole comment on the game was at some point, Connor Murray was picking up a ball behind a scrum and kind of clearing it out. And she sort of slightly tilted her head and was like, this is, I haven't seen a rugby game in a long time, but where have all the uggos gone? (laughs) (laughs) The uggos being? The uggos being every rugby player she had ever seen. With, you know, the kind of cauliflower ears right. and people who people who look like they've been in a fight yes. every day. Yes. Uh, but seeing Connor Murray and she's the other rugby player who she's aware of is Rob Kearney. Right. And then she saw Connor Murray and there was somebody else then who Beautiful, beautiful Connor Murray. Beautiful, beautiful Connor Murray. Yeah. And then uh somebody else uh, who kind of caught her eye and she was going, Well, where are the the, the kind of rugby monsters that used to play this sport. She, she had obviously drifted away from the couch by the time Andrew Porter came on, and she? Well, I think <laughs> actually she was a bit disappointed by this and she actually left then about 10 minutes later She because yeah. rugby had dissatisfied Rugby her. to her would be the big old hairy Moskines and the... The name that she managed to pull out was actually Martin Johnson. Now, exactly. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing that Martin Johnson and Rob Kearney are the two rugby players whose names she knows because <laughs> uh, I think we've I've I've gone to the extent of her knowledge now. So Manisha's idea is that the game's gone because the players are too pretty. Now. Yes. 
that's exactly it. Yeah, that's about right. That's cogent analysis. Let's <laughs> let's see that on, on on air sport at some point. Certainly know, better than anything you or I will come up with. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of air sport and uh, TV in general, we'll be having the great Mary Hannigan in here later on to talk about uh, the various uh, beefs that are going on uh, across the TV companies, most specifically. Well, I think we all know most specifically uh, which one. But uh, first, let's go to Japan. Gavin Komiski and Jerry Thornley are both on the line. Uh, Gavin, you are at the stadium. We're recording this before the Wales-Georgia match, so uh, uh, may as well tell people that. Yeah, I'm in Tokyo City Stadium, Mal. Did the uh, name of the car company come first or did the name of the city come first? <laughs> well, it depends who's sponsoring us, I guess. Uh, and Jerry, how are you keeping? Very well, thank you. Um, we're all upbeat, surely. Uh, uh, yesterday, Jerry couldn't really have gone a whole lot better, I guess. No, I guess not. Um, yeah, it was a real statement, opening statement win. Probably their best 40 minutes of rugby since beating the All Blacks last November. Um, I thought it was reminded that Ireland, you know, when at full tilt, have a world-class pack that can take on any pack in the world. Uh, the old adage goes that pack... Uh, Forwards uh, win matches and backs by how much, but uh, the Irish pack decided they'd also they do the second leg of the equation as well and also decide how they're going to win. Mm. Um, it was a very strong, dominant performance. And uh, scoring in their first three visits into the uh, Scottish 22, the game was pretty much done and dusted after 25 minutes. Um, no harm in some respects, that there was a few flaws after that. Uh, so the game won, and then a few failures to convert some visits into the 22 and a few other little mistakes that will give Joe Schmidt and the coaching staff plenty to get into as well. Um, but all in all, then, even to bring the rain with him, the second half was perfectly timed with Scotland having to play catch-up. And it was a very commanding, convincing bonus point win, which sets them up very well, I think. Gavin, would it be fair to say that that the win, while not only obviously important, but it was ideal in setting out our stall for the rest of the tournament. We we got people game time. We ha- we know that we have a few others like Kearney and Earls and hopefully Robbie Carberry or Joey Carberry that are all coming back uh, ready to get minutes themselves. It it was absolutely the ideal platform going forward. Yeah, well, it was great. It was a great glimpse into what fullback play would be like when Rob Carney hangs up his boots because Jordan Larmour is ready to go. Um, he had a stunning game. Um, my favourite thing was Ian Henderson. Jerry actually said it to me before, and he goes, "Don't don't write another piece about James Ryan. Don't follow him around <laughs> for eighty minutes." He goes, he goes genuinely pick Henderson because if he gets back to uh, if we can get anywhere near that midweek form, they probably should have had him in the Lions Test team two years ago. Ireland go to another level, like a different dimension he brings, and he did. And we established after the game as well that it's Henderson's line out. You know, he's calling the shots there. And uh, Ryan and Amani and all are just contributing. So there was enormous uh, emphasis on him. He's the incoming Ulster captain to lead. Um, that was one of the great things I got out of it. For every kind of a plus, there is a couple of few little doubts. I was at the um, Ireland media this morning, and um, the uh, they they think they're going to get Bundy Aki and Peter Amani back on the training paddock on Tuesday because they think they're going to pass their HIAs, even though they failed uh, concussive tests on the weekend. They're saying that Sexton's fine tie injury, um, even though he couldn't kick goals, which should be a real worry for Irish supporters, I think, because Conor Murray only kicked one from three. But there is there's so many way more. It was overwhelmingly positive. There's so many good things because of what Jerry said about the pack and all that. Jerry, I uh, will. <laughs> May, may as well dwell on the on the negatives to, for a tiny bit before before we go on. What what nits would you pick from from Saturday or from Sunday? 
Well, after this big CJ stander break um, to get inside the 22, they put, I think, maybe because they'd already scored the three tries and they had been quite clinical up until then, the pack went into their one-off and pick-and-jam mode and so forth. And they were, it was just a little bit slow, a little bit ponderous. And eventually, um, Wayne Barnes penalised CJ Stander for going off his feet, which seemed like a fair enough call. There was another visit to the 22, which again ended um, fruitlessly. There was, as Gavin said... Johnny Sexton not taking the goal kicks for whatever reason, banging the tie, tightening, whatever. Um, they were basically not being told as usual. Um, mm. And that was a little bit disconcerting. But um, that's in a, in a sense, it's no harm. I think watching the game there with Gavin and Keith yesterday, it felt like Ireland could well have gone on and won by 40 points or so. But maybe it's no bad thing that they didn't because, like I said earlier, this will mean that there's, the fact that there were a few flaws in the performance means that Joe Schmidt and the coaching staff have plenty to get their teeth into this week as well. It means that, you know, not having won by 40-plus points, Ireland won't have got too big for their boots, any danger of that. It keeps them ground, it keeps them level-headed. But um, the, it's hard to pick too many. The injuries aside, the midfield's looking a bit threadbare. Bundy Aki was ruled out, given there must be a serious doubt still about Robbie Hemshaw for the Japanese game on Saturday, which probably means Chris Farrell and Gary Ringrose have to go again. I thought Farrell did really well when he came on, like with Jack Conan coming on with the, the pack. The, the, the pack hardly missed a beat when Jack Conan came on first for Josh Van der Flair and then for Peter Armani after 25 minutes, just carried on doing what they were doing. And similarly, I thought Farrell slotted in with the ring rows very well and they might have to go again. Um, like, there, here's a negative. Gary Ringrose missed two tackles, but they were the mm. best two t- t- missed tackles you'd see a centre make because they cut off the Scots at the pass, forced Stuart Hogg and somebody else back in and they were actually two good missed tackles and that's the thing about Gary Reynolds, he often gets missed tackles in his column, but they're because they're good reads and force players back inside. So, yeah, I, I, it's hard to, to find too much wrong, but enough there to keep them ticking over. Gav, can, uh, can I just can I just give you an update from the news conference this morning, lads? Uh, Robbie Henshaw is not going to play this week, and also, like again, just we know that he had a scan for some kind of a hamstring injury, which sounds serious over a week ago, but when we kind of pressed them a little bit on Robbie Henshaw, because they said everyone's fit, which is great news, and you're like, okay, hang on a second, is Robbie Henshaw fit? <laughs> and they're going, they've, they've, they, and when you ask, when you get specific and you go, you try to eyeball them and go, come on, seriously. Um, they've accelerated his um, return to fitness is what they've said. And they hope he might do some pitch training this week. He is not playing rugby for Ireland this week against Japan. Like, mm-hmm. that's that. And the thing about... Um, like, again, Jerry's right there. Chris Farrell, God, he looks like the 12 that Ireland kind of were screaming out for anyway. But um, uh, Bundy Aki, he's come back quite quickly from uh, concussive turnovers over before. But um, Peter Mahoney took some serious damage like on three different occasions in the game when I was re-watching it. So, and they have Reese Ruddock and they have Jan Klein and they're the kind of the two big, huge guys that they want to play against Japan. So again, lots of pluses lots of, and a couple of negatives to, to offset it. Uh, Gav, let's get get into a couple of individuals. I I thought I thought Conor Murray. I thought you that you could see an authority in him that that had been kind of missing before a little bit. Definitely, um, he's not. He's almost there. To mm. the, the guy from eighteen months ago, the the little break in the sniping break where he he kind of he's almost like a back row player. Um, you can't see. Um, you can't you can't see that out. that's not back there yet. But um, his little pass where he knew the space, he went back short side for Conway's try. Um, not many scrum halves in the door like Aaron Smith can see those kind of things. Not many nines can see that. Um, yeah, he was humming and he needed to be because Sexton was hurt quite early mm. um, and was taking treatment when O'Mahony was coming off. Then after Furlong's brilliant try, and um, the only problem is he missed 
two kicks that mm. if it comes to a World Cup quarter final and Sexton hurts his tie or whatever his injury is, um, if it's higher up or lower down on the leg, there the um, Conor Murray can't be the place kicker for Ireland if you want to get to a World Cup semi final. It's just it's not the answer. Um, he's just not a he's not of that standard. He's brilliant at everything else. So a lot of focus comes on Joey Carberry, even though Jack Cardi was good. A lot of focus comes on how many minutes we see from Joey Carberry this weekend. Jerry, Joe Schmidt has, um, over the last, say, nine months, for the first time really in his career as Ireland manager, taken some criticism. So let's give him some praise. Wasn't the game on Saturday, did it show perfectly what Joe has been building towards, the idea of having squad depth and a sort of an adaptability in that you can take out a part and insert a part and the machine stays functioning perfectly? Like, I think, did CJ Stander play in a few different positions and yet he was motoring perfectly throughout and the pack was motoring perfectly throughout. Yeah, like I said, it was all about the pack. Um, I think this was Ireland 2018 rebooted. You know, it was, we saw a vintage All Blacks performance on Saturday. This was kind of like a vintage Ireland performance doing what they do best, predicated on 22 accurate set pieces. They're mall going really superbly again. You look at the mall for the try by Rory Best. It's just so cohesive and you can throw a blanket over them and everybody knows their role. Um, Peter Armani does a lot of unstinting stuff and that was typical the way he created a pathway almost for best to get that touchdown. I thought it was um, Ireland going back to what they do best in large measure. It was a reminder as well that when Joe Schmidt has given ample time to prepare for opponents, when it's a targeted opposition, a big game like the All Blacks in Chicago, like the All Blacks in 2018, he and the think, the think Tank generally get it right. You know, They generally get their tactics spot on. And I thought, you know, as usual, as is often the case with Joe Schmidt's selections, any querying or doubts about, ooh, should it have been Andrew Conway to fullback and Jordan Larmer in the wing were thoroughly vindicated in the way that Larmer played under the high ball and the way the two of them just livened up the attack. Larmer was really excellent. I thought it was a little bit of a coming-of-age performance from him. Um, in the same way, it would have been a tight enough call, you presume, between Chris Farrell and Will Addison for that 31st spot. Uh, picking Farrell now looks like, you know, Looks like genius. It's certainly been thoroughly vindicated as well um, in the way he performed and looks like he's going to have quite a major role in this this pool stages. Yet they got their tactics spot on. Um, it shows you again, like I said, what he, what Joe Schmidt can do when he, he pinpoints an opposition. I think that uh, the video analysis and the backroom team will now safely have one eye in South Africa. They'll be starting to be watching them in minute detail between now and the quarterfinals because it looks like it's going to be the Springboks in the, in the quarterfinals. And that's a, a very significant aspect of that win as well, because certainly watching the way that the All Blacks beat South Africa in classic vintage, like I said, All Black style, um, any day of the week, certainly come to World Cup quarterfinal, I'd rather have Ireland taking on the Springboks, which is probably a 50-50 game, than I would the All Blacks. Because when the All Blacks click, they can score three tries in five minutes like no one else in the world. Um, and they just played an astonishing brand of rugby at times. It was classic. Just come into the parlance of the spider of the fly. They could just rope a dough for 25, for 20 minutes and then spring into life and score 17 points in five minutes. So I think they've they've also, but if they go on and win the pool now, which Ireland should do, if they beat Japan the weekend, and then they can start preparing almost for the quarterfinal in terms of how they rotate their squad against Russia and Japan. And then, they, of course, they also have a seven-day turnaround before that quarterfinal as opposed to a six-day turnaround. So Joe Schmidt has now got momentum. Um, he's got a, a clear pathway, you would have thought, and, and the likely opposition in the quarterfinals. So... It's set up for Ireland to be serious players at this World Cup. That's for sure. Can we? Can we? 
Go ahead, Jerry Mal. Well, I was just going to say, since uh, since Jerry brought up South Africa, New Zealand, um, what did you make of that game? Uh, it was phenomenal. It was magical mm. to watch. It was as good as anything you'll ever see in sport. Um, like I, I, the lads were at it. I was across town at Argentina, France, which was another total classic. Like it was just a brilliant game of rugby. <laughs> and uh, but the the thing is, and um, not to temper everyone's excitement because Irish people are going to get a little bit excited after the performance. And fair enough. But Scotland, like they're the only tier one team. They don't even deserve that title anymore. They're the only <laughs> tier one team. I'm serious though. Like so, weekend one of the World Cup, right? Mm. And like, let's take the Aussies, right? The Fijians cut them up and looks like it's going to be a great shock. What did Australia do in the second half? They went deep into themselves and they produced a real workmanlike, well conditioned performance. Argentina got this. Got, got like. France were threatening to put something like 30, 40 points on them. And they went back to their mall and they figured a way out and they turned it into a 20, they lost 20, 23 due to a last minute penalty not going over. It was a classic game. Um, like again, we looked at the great All Blacks box game. One team was going, was going to get pulled away, the other one came back. Scotland had nothing. They had nothing to come back. And after the game, the BBC's Tom English, who's um, from Limerick, used to write for the mm. Sunday Times over here. He, um, the Scottish media, no one was, no one was asking Gregor Townsend what the hell just happened. You know, these are the guys who were like earlier on in the week talking about winning the World Cup, yeah. and they're talking about how they're going to build. Every- I was at their camp, and it was happy-go-lucky. Nothing wrong with being cranky, by the way, but it was happy-go-lucky. Um, great, oh, defense is going to win it and all that. And uh, in the press conference afterwards, Tom English turned around and he went, Gregor. It's a World Cup game. How can your team not start with energy and aggression? Like, and he was like, we've seen this countless times over and over again from you guys. What is the problem with these players, you know? And Townsend, honestly, he just didn't have an answer. Um, they don't, like, imagine them against New Zealand after we, what we just saw mm. in a quarterfinal. They get annihilated. The thing about that, Gav, is that Scotland now have got so much... They're, they're wounded, they're badly damaged. They've lost Hamish Wilson for the rest of the tournament. Hamish Watson, rather say, for the rest of the tournament. They're wounded, like I said, by Ireland, um, and they've got some tricky pool games now. And the, even if they get, even if they beat uh, Russia and Samoa and get to that last day shootout with Japan, it's, they're liable to be fighting for their lives. And the reward is a six day turnaround against all blacks. So it just shows the the the, the ripple effects of what that of what happened last weekend. I, I would agree with you entirely that Scotland really only have a plan A, and when plan A doesn't work, they've no plan B to go to. And that was another really good aspect of what Joe Schmidt and Andy Farrell prepared for against the Scots. They ramped up their line speed specifically with the intention of closing down Finn Russell. And it worked a charm bar one time when Bundyaki injured himself when he clashed heads with Russell. He was just a fraction late on the tackle and they managed to get Seymour around the corner. But still in all, um, Ireland snuffed out that danger. And it was a very, they, they could plan accordingly because so much goes through Russell. And particularly when Ali Price wasn't there. I thought they improved a lot, but it was a bit too late when they brought Ali Price on. I wonder why... Scotland are trying to play a really high-tempo game and they start with Greg Laidlaw and leave Ali Price on the bench for an hour. Ironically, the, the one time they went, they deviated from plan A, they went to plan B, they went hard off nine for about a dozen phases, bang, bang, bang. And it was the one time they probably stressed the Irish defence a little bit until John Barkley knocked on the ball. But um, by and large, they only have a plan A and that's their problem. And I, I love it when they come into a game really cocky. It was like Glasgow against Leinster. I thought there was a lot of comparisons with the Pro 14 final last May, I love it when the Scots are cocky because they kind of take their, when they really believe in, their, in, their, in themselves and, you know, they've got all these great playmaking skills and they can score tries out wide and so forth. When they're, they're a little bit overconfident, you hear Stuart Hawks saying we're going to win the World Cup. That's not earth-shattering news because he's a fairly self-confident young man and so is Finn Russell and so are they all in Scotland. But they were quite chipper about their prospects and, like I said, I'm really comfortable when they're like that because it's very often misplaced. 
Jerry, our line speed against Scotland was important in shutting them down. And New Zealand's line speed against South Africa, now, admittedly, it looked like a slightly different tempoed game. I was getting tired just watching them. But their line speed managed to shut down South Africa. Is there anything that Ireland can learn if and when we do get to this quarterfinal against South Africa? Well, I'm hoping that Ireland has still kept their powder dry and there's a lot more tricks up their sleeve and some backline moves and strike plays because, uh, and maybe a little bit more offloading because that's basically how the, the okay, the All Blacks do that better than anybody else. But that's, there's no doubt that you have to ro- roll, with, roll with the punches against South Africa. That first 20 minutes, they were dominating the collisions, both sides of the ball. They were making real, they were really stressing the All Blacks defence and driving them back. And their own line speed actually was causing the All Blacks a lot of problems until the All Blacks uh, finished up, found a way around it. Now, it was very clever what they did. They basically had Sebu Reese and George Bridge hugging the touchline. So there was always an option for a long skip pass or a cross kick. Um, and that was, it basically led to the breakthrough from Richie Mwanga's cross kick to Sebu Reese. And he scampered up the right-hand touchline with an extraordinary acceleration. Aaron Smith worked really hard to be there for the link inside to Ardi Savea, whose selection was also thoroughly vindicated. He carried on hard and Smith was first there. Little Aaron Smith to effect a clear out and bang, bang, um, ball into Bowden Barrett, the other playmaker. He sees a lock and a prop in front of him in Malherb and Etzebeth. Darts between the two, frees his hand and gives the ball to George Bridge for a run and try. So I think that would be one way. The, bl- the box are absolutely committed to this blitz outside in defence. And I think the, I think the All Blacks showed that there's, there, are all, there are always ways around this. And it was just clever the way I thought they had those two winners hugging the touchline at times in space. Can I mention Can I mention Cheslin Col- Colby, Mal? Yeah. We can't let this pod go without talking about him. He, I, I really hope that that bang he got at the end doesn't take him out of the tournament. Mm. It's probably, he's probably going to be the reason he, he's probably Ireland's doom. You know what I mean? Like, he, he came back. He, he, he's changing the way the game is. He was just so sensational. And Richie Moonga, to stay with him pace-wise, to put that tackle in, it's... It, made him an, a classic All Black 10 like oh, straight away but and it, it's changed the dynamic of the tournament but It's he's, funny Gav he uh, you wouldn't have heard it but uh, uh, Ronan O'Gara was uh, on News Talk yesterday uh, picking him out as uh, as somebody that Schmidt will go after seeing him as, as, as a potential weak spot He's the superstar of this tournament. He just is. Uh, like the, 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 He was like a slippery little eel. The All Blacks couldn't mm. near him. Yeah, look, in he fairness, was electrified. The, 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 yeah. the, 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 the Raj point has, holds a bit of weight because who was targeted more than anyone else in the Scottish team but Stuart Hogg? Yeah. They hunted and hunted him. Stockdale came in afterwards and he goes, God, lads, I don't mind if you keep slagging me from my bad defence because it just makes me a better player. <laughs> and they, you could see Stockdale's face. Remember when he got that man and ball hit on Hogg? Mm. He was on the ground. The two of them smashed to the ground he was laughing out loud like he was like he was a night out or something he got so much joy from it and he came in and he wasn't giving it to the media he's a pretty cool guy Stockdale he came in afterwards he goes please lads keep keep saying there's something wrong at my game uh, we read everything we we, we want to hear that it's 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 fuel for our fire here Gab before we we finish up uh I can't let you go without talking about the France-Argentina game because it was an absolute cracker uh, and you you covered it for the paper yeah, yeah, it was a belter. Uh, yeah. The but do you know what it was quite the thing that popped into my head at halftime when France had just 
ripped ripped them apart was oh this is exactly what they did to Wales in the opening game of the Six Nations mm. back in February and then they tanked for much of that tournament so and sure enough the Argentinians came back out and went to their mall and their mall defence was just poor they coughed up two tries from just an inability to do like you think you're going to be prepared for the Argentinian mall you know and they had no answer to, to it but there's so many aspects. Like when you look at them in that first half and you look at their team and you see what they're capable of, you go, this team can win the World Cup. And then when you look at them, <laughs> when you look at them in the second half and when they, they literally had to go back to Camille Lopez to drop a goal to not, for the most, it would have been the most humiliating. It's, that certainly would have been the biggest turnaround in World Cup history for points put real back in. Gavin, is it um, the same old they, problem with France? Are, are they still not fit? They, they definitely, that, I couldn't believe that they weren't fit after what they've just been together. They've been together for like two, three months. Um, they've got Galtier now, though, who's going to bring structure, but they still have Brunel's ability as the head coach overseeing everything just to spoil and ruin the whole thing. <laughs> they've, they've, but you, you see, you have to know, look, the French, something is going to happen. It's not probably going to happen at this World Cup, but come 2024, they've just won two under 20 World Cups. They've got um, in behind Entomac and, De- and Demba Bamba, they have this generation of professional French players who have been playing top 14 since they were teenagers. They're real, like it, there's a real golden generation coming up. Um, and there's sprinkles of it now. With they're, they're world class. They're brilliant. Look at the team. Look at the bench that came on. You know, um, with Ramos and Pickamos came off the bench. But uh, it was kind of funny after the game, uh, and there was no sightings after this. There was a proper good old school punch up, dust up on yeah. the pitch. Mm. Yeah, yeah. When, uh, when Pickamos pissed off somebody in the uh, a couple of the Pumas yeah. uh, who promptly came into the press room and just stuck it to Angus Gardner, the referee, just blamed him for everything. Uh, just so they've gone away grumpy. You know what I mean? So uh, you really felt watching it going, ah, the World Cup is alive now. Somebody like Maya Desmond is trying I, to figure out a way of motivating his team. Sorry, one thing, Gav. Mal asked you a question there. I don't think it's a question of fitness with the French. Um, They've been training the house stand for the last three months. It's the one time every four years that the the clubs don't get near them. So they're better off, frankly, because they're under the national structures. They look very strong physically, I think. But they've got a real mental issue in holding out big leads. They just just crack a little under pressure because they've got so much baggage from the last couple of years letting big leads slip. But I do think that's still a very significant win for them because they've blown that lead. I don't know if there was any way back for them. But at least they held on and won with that Lopez drop goal and Argentina missing the penalty to win it. I think it's a very significant result because it means now that in round three of the pool stages, Argentina are fighting for their lives against England. And even if England win that, they then come to a pool decider against France, with France almost certainly already having, then having qualified. And then they can just swing from the hip in a one-off game against Le Rose Beef. And, you know, they'll be licking their lips in every sense of the thought of having a crack off Le Rose Beef. So... I still think it was a significant result and they might just improve. Well, Argentina, two- England and France, England are the two games that the pools come up now. They're <laughs> gonna be they're gonna be off the, they're gonna be insanely good to watch. Excellent. Listen, lads, thank you very much and uh, go about your evening there in peace, knowing that you've done your duty to the Irish Times. Thank you very much. So of course, Pat, because there is obviously no other sport on, um, we are going to finish off today talking about more rugby, except the rugby on TV. It's the watching of rugby as the opposed watching to the playing rugby. of it. But actually, it's merely an excuse to get the great, lamented Mary Hannigan into studio. You haven't been here in a while. About 1976, I yeah. think. Mary stopped answering my phone after, after the last time. I blocked you. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, welcome. Thank you very Great much. Great to have you. Morning, sir. Have you been enjoying the rugby on TV? Very much, although the matches are kind of getting in the way. It is a little of, bit. Yeah. 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 It's the kind of pre-match at halftime and some up stuff is, is the thrilling bit. I, I guess there's only really one place to start. I mean, rugby is a game of collisions. It is a, it is a mano a mano and there is just there, there is one mm-hmm. head-to-head that is enthralling the nation so yeah. far. Jamie Vietti. Wow. Who I'm knew? Not. Who could have known that it, that mm-hmm. two such, well, you know, I wouldn't say they, when, when Artie announced this lineup, you were going, oh, wow, they, managed, they managed to get Jamie Heaslip and Eddie O'Sullivan. <laughs> this is going to be off the scale. And it's kind of turned into like having Alex Ferguson and Roy Keane on the <laughs> same <laughs> punditry panel. Really. Um, walk us through it. It is quietly hilarious. It is, yeah. Um, and your heart has to go out to Stephen Ferris sitting in the middle of, of this. I think he's enjoying bit. every minute of it. Do you? I think he knows exactly what's going on. There was one moment though yesterday, like when Eddie has been a little bit concerned about our prospects, you know, and been a little bit negative maybe. Eddie does uh, seem to be the one who thinks that we might not win the World this Cup. This is it. You know. <laughs> he does, he has a hunch. Yeah. Yeah. So Jamie just will not allow Eddie bring his mood down at all. <laughs> but I think Stephen is quite affected by Eddie. So there was a moment yesterday, like, you know, so Stephen started talking about Ireland's prospects against mm. Scotland and he was pretty upbeat, confident, going through all the reasons why we should beat Scotland comfortably. So he was happy. Then Eddie starts and he starts with, so what could go wrong today? Well, and he went through a very long list of all the things. <laughs> and you remember Tommy Tiernan in Father Ted on the bus when mm. Radiohead came mm. on? And Tommy was, you know, he'd gone through a tough time, but then his mood had picked up when he spent time with Dougal and Ted. So he was a happy bunny again and he got on the bus all cheerful and smiley. Then Radiohead, was it No Exit or something? Came on the radio yeah. and all the joy just drained from Tommy's <laughs> face and he ended up just really very down. There was a bit of that with Stephen <laughs> listening to Eddie talking about our prospects. He became Tommy Tiernan on that bus, yeah. But Jamie, Jamie will not allow Eddie kind of deflate his, his with hope Jamie and confidence. Jamie is so uh, against Eddie's kind of any of Eddie's ethos getting across that sometimes he actually goes against the idea of any punditry at all (laughs) which is I love when he does that because he he was giving out to him about before the game Eddie was a little bit worried about how Jordan Larmer might get under dropping balls he even showed us a bunch of clips of him dropping balls how dare he have clips (laughs) about something that a lot of people were worried about and uh, Jamie after the game was there you were calling out Jordan Larmer before the game and Eddie was going I wasn't calling him out I was doing this punditry job because I was because I I didn't see all of the build up because I had switched over to to ITV Uh, and we'll talk about that in a second so I had missed Eddie's uh, clear excoriation of poor little Jordan Larmer before the game but I did see afterwards I did see his lip going you were calling him out and now, now, look at you. Look at you sitting there small and nothing compared to the to, to, to the Amazonian Jordan Larmer who has just won the World Cup for Ireland. He has. The date we need to circle here in our calendars is October the 11th when Jamie's book comes out. 
Um, and October 12th, Ireland are playing Samoa. Mm. So Eddie has like 24 hours to read the book mm. and apparently he features heavily in this <laughs> I'm book. I'm guessing he's you going to imagine. feature a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's a pure coincidence that's the publishing <laughs> date. You know, the publishers must be amazed that World Cup is happening as well. So it's called All In, this book. Mm. And ominously, Jamie looks very angry on the cover. <laughs> Like there's no smiley head on him at all. So it kind of, you sense this is a score settling book. So now he has spoken quite a bit about his lack of love for Eddie. And people focus on the fact that, you know, Eddie dropped him quite a bit. Eddie didn't like his white boots. That's a big issue. But um, in my intensive Googling, I discovered... I think <coughs> what, Research. Sorry, Your intensive research. research sorry, sorry. This is so the Irish the Microphones Please. malfunctioning. So, um, yeah, I think I've discovered the real issue here between mm. them. So Jamie said that for two years, Eddie called him Graham, which is the name of Jamie's brother. <laughs> and the first time he used his correct name was when he knocked on his hotel bedroom door to tell him he was not going to the 2007 World Cup. Yeah. So he said that was the first time he ever used my correct name, <laughs> but he had called him Graham for a whole two years, which I think is kind of up there with the Liam Brady one. Jack Charlton, as we know, was mm. famous for getting names wrong. All the players called him the wrong name. But the Liam Brady one was best. He said the first time he met Jack, Jack called him Ian. <laughs> At which point... <laughs> Liam had to point out that's actually the Moore's murderer, Jack. I'm Liam. So which would you prefer to be like mistaken for the Moore's murderer or called your brother's name? I, I don't know. I must say that's magnificent shade from Eddie. Eddie. It is. So I think it I'm is. team Eddie now. Sorry. Yeah, I think so. I think that's exactly the way to deal with upstart rugby players. Yeah. I, I, Put on a proper pair of boots. Then I remember your name and then I'll drop you. <laughs> is the boots thing true? Oh yeah, apparently uh, so. He, he, yeah. he says, "I don't want you. Don't be wearing the white boots." And he's lived. Then uh, he said, "There is a. He does have a. I have seen a quote somewhere where yeah. he's lived said, and from then on, then on, I wore them in every game. <laughs> Nothing but white boots, <laughs> which is an insight to his character. I think. Eddie so, on the sideline yeah. going, "Oh, that Graham Heaslip and his white boots." <laughs> <laughs> on the subject so, of footwear, yeah. Um, oh. That was Look a at that for a slick, segue. Slick and seamless. On, as I say, I watched the build-up to, to Ireland Scotland on on ITV, and ITV, uh, and you had, a, you had a, <laughs> uh, there was a great line somewhere uh, this morning where they said that that ITV have done their normal thing of just spending lots of money on famous people yeah. and putting them in front of a camera. <laughs> Every <laughs> retired international rugby player like, is pretty I, much there. I, I I think over the course of the three games on on Saturday. They must have had 15 pundits. Yeah. Uh, they got some in for the early game, then threw them out then. <laughs> uh, but by the time the Ireland-Scotland game came around, it was uh, Brian O'Driscoll, Paul O'Connell, uh, Jim Hamilton and Ian McGeehan. Yeah. And um, it was it was good. Like, O'Connell is amazing. Like, like, every time he speaks, I go, wow, I did not know that. Or I feel like I've learned something about rugby, which, you know, is the job of any pundit. That or to, you know, scowl at each other. I'll take either. It's fine. <laughs> but they have this huge studio. Uh, <laughs> and one part of it is a, a tatami floor, which mm. is a, a, a Japanese, the floor of a Japanese, uh, any Japanese room or uh, a certain type of flooring. The whole point of, well, not the whole point of which, but uh, in deference to it, you're supposed to take off your shoes. Okay. To stand on a tatami floor. Now, by the time I was watching on Saturday in the build-up to this game, 
everybody was in their sock soles. This was, this clearly came because on Friday they were not in their sock soles and there was a storm online. Outcry. Over over people wearing their shoes on a tatami floor. That they were being culturally insensitive. (laughs) Culturally insensitive indeed. But, uh, so (laughs) it led to the scene and this is like 20 minutes before kickoff in the the Japan Ireland game or Scotland Ireland game where um, Craig Doyle who was the presenter was walking across, walking from one end of the studio to the other, and it was it was kind of ominous looking because he had a rugby ball in his hand, and I was going, "This can't be good. Why does he have? There is no need for you to have a rugby ball, Craig Doyle." And he walked over to where O'Connell and Jim Hamilton, who's a former Scotland lock, were, were standing, and uh, in his irritatingly rugby way went, "Paulie." You know, the rolling mall, the, the line-out mall, going to be huge today. Going to be huge. Walk us through it. And through the 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 ball to O'Connell, at which point... In his socks. A cast of extras come up. Yeah. So, like, six, seven youngsters, like teenagers. They look like teenagers mm-hmm. uh, in kind of rugby jerseys and socks. And O'Connell ran a line-out. Uh, like... <laughs> <laughs> and how to defend against it, and how and how to to marshal it together, uh, like th- throwing the ball in, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> but was this brilliant or excruciating? Because it could have gone either both, way. I think it was absolutely both. Yeah, that, okay. that is precisely what it is. Because for the first bit of it, you're going, "Wow, this is amazing! This is fun! <laughs> this is exactly what 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 I want from you know yeah. a, a build up to a rugby match." And then, about five six minutes in, you're going. That's lads, enough. Lads, now. the teams are about to walk out <laughs> of the pitch here. Like, can we get a uh, who's going to win here? <laughs> you know? And later in the morning, um, they were I'm not really sure what they were demonstrating. That was just a, <laughs> a kind of a regal of bodies like on the floor. But they brought in another batch of people, and it was Johnny Wilkinson and Lawrence Delalio were oh, yeah. demonstrating something or other. But, uh, do you know what they were demonstrating? Um, no. They were demonstrating. Uh, Johnny's drop goal ah. in the 2003 oh, World Cup final. All right. That's tipping the balance. So why were all these people like in knots on the floor? These were the people <laughs> they just brought in. And while Lawrence and Johnny chatted about this move, these people had to remain frozen like mannequins on the floor. <laughs> and like one kind of had their face in the it, crotch of the other and there was a big hairy bottom builder's bottom staring at the camera you was weren't that? allowed move like for about 10 minutes well, Mary, there, it was it was being true to life it was reenacting right. deep into injury time at the end of a World Cup final so yeah. how could they move but pause wasn't pressed for 10 minutes on that <laughs> moment in injury time and these people looked in pain severe pain on the floor especially the person with their face in the crotch so I, I think ITV may need to rethink this a little bit maybe just I, I'm presuming, I haven't seen any ITV coverage yet, but I'm presuming from the sounds of that that they have a big set because I'm fascinated by two things that I noticed over the weekend. I watched air uh, coverage on Saturday morning. They do not have a rolling system of pundits. They've got pundits who, lads, you're here for three matches, sit down. Also, this... Also, there, there, there might be a breakfast roll coming in or yeah. there might not. Or there might not. Oh, there for six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> the studio Sleeping is about bags. the size of the table, roughly. <laughs> yeah. And and then Ireland, apparently, or RT, I mean, they have an aircraft hangar for it's a studio. It's very large. It's, uh, very. I saw you actually say that it, we now know where um, they held the uh, 
the Eurovision in 1993. Oh, the set from Mill Street. <laughs> Street. It's, it's very it, similar. It is a giant looking set. Very I large. presume there's smoke and mirrors to make it look that I, big. I think there is. And I think there's a lot of kind of uh, uh, green screen work or something yeah. going on because at a certain point, Darrow, Darrow O'Brien was walking from, it was it was at the very introduction of it on, on Friday morning. And he was, they had, uh, you know, the way like in um, in match of the day, they, they'll have the three lads talking and then like a, a, a virtual reality table will spring up in front of them uh, of like the leading goal scorers or whatever it is. Uh, Dara started walking from, uh, like he w- wanted to tell people what the pools were. So pool A, pool B, pool C, pool D. Uh, and so he was standing right beside pool A and was the height of it. By the time he got to Pool D, he was barely up to the bottom, <laughs> the bottom right. team in the table. <laughs> so the camera kept kind of panning back, panning back. I don't know how all that technology worked, but Darrow O'Brien was shrinking before our eyes as I, he got along to tell us. So somebody saying that the studio looks about the price of seven Lyric FMs. <laughs> so I don't know if you know, a lot of thought has been put into this, but it is quite spectacular, yeah. And the contrast with airs is, is yeah. funny. It's like a telephone box. Uh, we'll finish, Mary, with my absolute favourite moment from the weekend and you, and you actually reference it. Uh, the interview with Rory Best on the pitch yeah. afterwards yeah. Uh, and you know Rory had had a fine game and all mm. you know proved proved the doubters wrong and all this sort of stuff and at a certain point it's always funny with these on pitch interviews at the end like these guys have three questions mm. and you can always see the guys who have decided I have three questions and I am asking all three mm. or the guys who actually listen to what the dude is saying and sort of thinks up another one on the spot this guy absolutely was going to ask Dory Best about being an old guy. Uh, just before you even get to that, can yeah. I set it, it up even slightly more? Because okay. I think I know what you're about to say. But there was one particular channel I saw that caught what the referee said to Rory Best. Did you hear this? No. no. With about 10 minutes left in the match, who was the referee in the Ireland game again? Wayne Barnes. Wayne Barnes turned to Rory Best and said, what are you still doing here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, whether he was referencing why haven't you retired or I presume what he was referencing was there's 10 minutes left Rory should you not be well, going off was, the pitch it was, by no, now no it was because Niall Scannell had come on uh, and Rory Best hadn't gone off uh, right? Niall Scannell had come on for Josh van der Fleer, so he wasn't so saying you're an old wrinkly why yeah. are yeah, you well, still well, yeah. kind of, Wayne Barnes who by the way not to go down another tangent uh, was on the lash uh, with the Irish fans uh, after the game in, in an right. Irish bar as right. referenced by Frank McNally today yeah but yes, <laughs> but the the lad who who was interviewing Rory Best on the pitch uh, absolutely said, "I got I've got to ask this guy." Yeah. <laughs> and he says, "You officially ended this game as Ireland's oldest ever player, oldest ever World Cup member. So go go home and get your your pipe and slippers on." Yeah. And the look, the look Rory Best threw him, uh, like put it this way, Jamie and Eddie will be. <laughs> Watching it, <laughs> practicing to see can they summon up that level of contempt for each other before the end of the World Cup. It was Cup. kind of mixed with sort of what? The, what? Like, it was a, close to tearsness, yeah, kind of. But he was kind of going, "Stop telling me how old I am. I'd I, like to enjoy I've this moment." I, I've literally just played my first eighty minutes of rugby in. in it could be five or six years, and, and, and we won. What are you talking about? Getting my slippers on. There is six weeks of the World Cup to go. 
who the hell are you anyway? And then Tyg Furlong adds to it by referring to Best as the old man at 55. So, like, poor Rory. Thing is, Rory will take it off Tyg Furlong. He probably There's will. Goober, a TV reporter, who's running through his checklist of questions, not so much, I think. Poor Rory. Anyway, Mary, this has been too enjoyable. I'm, I have a horrible feeling this is going to have to happen again for you. I know. Do you want me to analyse rucking and mauling and see stuff? Now, could, see, now you're that, talking like, your no, way right, out of it. That. That's I exactly just keep the watching ITV. That's, the ta- that's exactly the tactic. If you fall into that carry-on, you won't be invited back. <laughs> Mary okay. Hannigan, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you to Pat. Thanks, Bob. Thank you to Gavin Jerry, who we were talking to earlier uh, from Japan. And thank you to Declan and Jenny uh, at the controls. And we will talk to everybody later. Added Time is supported by Fitbit. With Amazon Alexa built in, your personalised sleep score and a five plus day battery life. Fitbit Versa 2 takes smartwatches to the next level.